Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have our elite, irregular panelist from the wargame space, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. We also welcome back our friend, freelance writer and board game critic, Jonathan Bolding. Howdy, everybody. Finally, we welcome back our friend, Fraser Brown. Hello. So, uh, once again, we're here on Three Moves Ahead to discuss Paradox Development Studios' Hearts of Iron 4, which we covered at length last summer following a preview event. Uh, Fraser was on that show, and I think our reactions at that time were thoroughly mixed, to say the least. But now the final product is upon us. We've all had a chance to play it, and I'm eager to know what you all think of it. Uh, but before we dive into all of this, uh, John, we'll start with you. Uh, you know, what is Hearts of Iron 4? And how do we classify it when we put it in the context of other Paradox strategy games? It is the Paradox strategy game that perhaps has the most narrow focus, I think. Um, It is a war game, decidedly. Uh, Unlike in, say, Crusader Kings, where you've kind of got a a war angle and a home front politics angle, Hearts of Iron chooses to deeply emphasize the kind of warfare that happened between 1936 and 1950. Uh, It is all about sort of this division scale maneuvering. Um, It's about the logistics of production and supply, um, and it pairs back other systems in favor of deeper combat mechanics. Yeah, it's definitely... um... I mean, a lot of times it's a World War II game, but I've also had like probably a third of the time I play it World War II doesn't happen in any recognizable fashion, at least. Uh, it, it turns out being it, it turns out to be a slightly weirder and, and different thing if you take off the uh, the AI focuses and, and let the AI sort of explore its own uh, ex, its own possibility trees that can sort of take. Is away there something from... wrong with that though? No, uh, it's but it, I just find it an interesting thing, right? Sometimes sometimes it's a World War II game, and sometimes just a, it is just a like a World War II era grand strategy war game. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, it really depends on what nation you're playing, but sometimes until you get to, say, 1939, which is generally when the the war kind of kicks off, um, you're really not playing a war game at all, at least not a recognizable one. Um, if you're not actually playing aggressively and getting into these kind of small wars that build up global tension then you are just kind of playing uh, the game of politics and, I guess, manufacturing. Um, but it doesn't... You're, you're not necessarily creating all these battle plans and things like that and worrying about logistics. So, uh, Bruce, I've been dying to know what, what you make of this game, right? Because um, I think, for, for me, certainly, it's got a lot of good World War II era flavor and things like that. That it is a that it is very much a game t- to me that feels like it sort of hits that interaction between uh, what's happening on the battlefield and decisions that are made about weapon systems, about production priorities, and, and things like that. Uh, and and to me, it feels like it has it has a really you know great historic flavor. Uh, but but I'm curious, you know, what 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 you make of this, right? And and what you think of its model of uh, maybe not World War II, but its take on uh, sort of the decisions you have to make about production and research uh, in this era. Well, that's that's a really good question because I'm not sure what decisions I'm actually supposed to make. I mean, I know I'm making a whole bunch of decisions. I'm not sure which ones. I should be making. It's it's an interesting game. I, I mean, the the game itself, I mean, 
you're really surfing history and it can be a history that is completely different from things that we know to be uh, know to be true or to have happened or things that we may think are plausible. But I, I'm wondering, you know, I've, I've actually seen some commentary around. Um, I think I read, I read Jonathan's review that you sent. Um, but I just also saw some comments around about how this happened and that was unrealistic and that was happened. And it was ahistorical and unrealistic. And I thought, well, how is that different from any other paradox game? I mean, European university, if you don't have the Congress of Vienna, do you care? I mean, are you angry because that the history didn't happen that way? Um, I just wonder if people uh, don't like some of the say historicity because they're just more familiar with it, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody has any idea whether the polls would have, you know, converted to orthodoxy and become some kind of, you know, client state of Muscovy. Um, I think it would be completely impossible, but, you know, can happen. Um, Mecklenburg can take over the world. So I don't see why anybody should have a problem with anything that happens uh, in Hearts of Iron 4 from sort of a historical plausibility standpoint. Now, that doesn't mean I think it's a good game. I just think that that part, when yeah. it's discussed so much, I don't think that that really enters into the equation. It is an odd criticism of, of anyone's kind of myth that it's not historical enough, because there's even a mode which is which basically means that every country is just playing randomly. Yeah. They're not basing their decisions on, you know, and, and even if you're playing the regular historical mode, because you've got, you know, you've got players involved. So obviously even one tiny little change can have this knock-on effect that completely alters the war. Um, that's surely the fun. That's why I want to play these sorts of games. I want to see how the war could have been changed if I'd made these kind of decisions. Right. I mean, these are, these are things that you change that, um, because you can, right? I mean, if you wanted to play a historical World War II game, then you wouldn't be playing a Paradox game. You'd be you know, getting, you'd be, well, you'd be playing board games. But, uh, <laughs> or you'd be playing but, War in the East or something. Um, yeah, oh yeah, or you'd play, yeah. exactly. You'd be playing something else where the, where the historical, uh, you know, parameters of the military conflict are what is important to the designer. Yeah. I don't understand how anyone could have a problem with the idea of, like, turning, say, like, America communist and France, like, fascist and all these other kind of silly things that you can do to just alter yeah, the and course you can, of history. You can always click that button to say that people will behave roughly historical, right? Yeah, that people of course. Will, will follow their historical focuses. So you can always keep it to be more. Um, Rowan coined a great term the last time we discussed this game uh, last year. Uh, you can always make this game more historic ish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. but you but i think it's sort of crucial for the longevity that you do have that freedom to say well what if it's just a big world war ii era battle royale right what if because you know the first time you're germany or something and you invade poland and then knock out france that's pretty cool the second time it's fun i would wager the the fourth or fifth time that unfolds almost ritualistically mm -hmm. um it, you know the game starts to the st starts to pale right and you start the, you know then then you're sort of looking at the uh limited number of of realistic historical turning points that uh, maybe you know the the parameters of history could reasonably throw up uh, at you. Uh, whereas here, I think it's pretty cool that you can have uh, pretty wildly uh, different tracks that the uh, that that every country can end up following. So uh, I played. I was playing a multiplayer game with Rowan Kaiser, and he uh, as France uh, just decided to throw everything he had into going full on fascist. 
and he teamed up with Italy to sort of start creating a uh, like Mediterranean uh, African super empire. And I'm sitting there as England trying to figure out, like, at that point, I'm sort of sitting there like, well, the Nazis are still kind of doing their Nazi thing, but I have no idea what Rowan and uh, and Mussolini are up to now. Now I'm trying to figure out, like, who is, who's actually the worst, uh, who's the biggest problem uh, in my neighborhood. And that, that's, kind of, that's kind of cool, fun stuff to, to, to have uh, pop up in, in a game like this. If it's all historical, we all know kind of how the, the war panned out. So it, it's nice to have these surprises. And I, I would be really bored if, as you said, Rob, you're playing the same countries over and over again and it's playing out exactly the same. I got so much joy out of ignoring the offer of to, to join the Axis while I was playing as Italy and just created my own new Roman Empire. Um, and in, in, in the end, I did kind of loosely team up with the Reich, but when they fell, I was the only thing, you know, stopping the, the Soviets from swallowing up all of Europe. Um, and that was, that was a lot of fun, and it wouldn't have happened if it had played out just like World War II did. Yeah, and there's a certain absolutely glorious tension as well uh, to even just doing your own thing with the historical settings on in that vein, because you have an idea of what, say, Stalin or Hitler is going to do, but your ability to work ahead of that can give you some really bizarre outcomes, like a French-Italian fascist alliance holding back the tide of communism. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the game, I think the game really actually suffers when it doesn't, uh, when it doesn't play out in, in weird ways, because the weird ways for me have been what makes it interesting. I think the game, frankly, for me, has a lot of problems in just as a, as the game itself, um, but I really enjoy seeing all the wacky things I can do um, and the uh, odd combinations and the sort of um, weird research and the uh, you know just just all the all the permutations that I can go through. But I think as an actual historical uh, World War II game, I don't think it's that great. So I, I'm glad that you can do all this extra stuff. Okay, let's let, let's dive into that. I'm I'm sort of uh, I'd, I'd love to hear sort of your issues with uh, with the game. Well, my issues with the game are, are, are pretty straightforward. Um, I think first of all, first of all, I have a, I have one big issue with this is that <clears throat> no, I have more issues than one, but I have a big issue which is the lack of a, of a manual or really any documentation. I mean. It's just, I would say it's shameful, but it's not a moral question, so it's not really shameful. It's just really, really unfortunate for me because mm -hmm. I like that kind of thing. Now, I understand why Paradox may not do that. Paradox pretty clearly feels that their games have such a following that they can easily be documented by users without them putting any resources into real documentation, which sounds, you know, it's, that's a business decision that they, they're certainly free to make that decision. Um and I think they also feel that, and of course, I'm just sort of trying to, you know, telepathically determine what Paradox thinks, but we'll just keep going with this. Um, I think that Paradox probably um, feels that they're going to have a lot of DLC for this. So why write a manual that's going to change a whole bunch of things? There are going to be patches in between. Um, so, you know, why hard code everything when it's just going to, um, when it's just going to change? So that for me is a big problem because I prefer manuals to, you know, evolving wikis. 
Um, I don't like videos that teach me that, that pretend to be tutorials. Um, but fine, okay. So that's the documentation issue. Now, the well, know, what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, by just the way? just to that point. I would say so. I was actually I was I kept like every day I kept start checking to see when the manual would manual would come out. I kept expecting that little option right. like view manual to sort of pop right. up on Steam. I figured because I had sort of the uh, pre-release like review code that okay like sometimes the manuals come in pretty late whatever. Um, and now we're a week after launch and still no sign of a manual. And I think that's I'm not sure that is as excusable. Like there are like. You can absolutely comprehend roughly what's happening. You can play Hearts of Iron Hearts of Iron Four without documentation, but I think there's a lot of things that could really benefit from some clarification about the effects of things you're doing. And I, I especially felt the lack of a manual when it came to things like the Division mm -hmm. Designer. Uh, or any or anything yes. to do with unit stats, absolutely. Uh, because there's a million freaking statistics associated yes. with every unit, and some of these statistics interact in really important ways with uh, your military doctrine that you research and develop. And so it will buff certain approaches and it will penalize others. Uh, well, more buff. It mostly serves as buffs, but. To really take advantage of those synergies, it helps to understand what the hell any of this really means and how it like how those choices you're making affect the way a unit behaves. I'll give you a, a, an easy example here. Um, there's like, I think it's like the superior firepower doctrine or something uh, gives you this choice between like dispersed support mm -hmm. and integrated support. Oh yeah. Uh, basically you can, you can, you can, every division, you can have support units. So you have all your main combat units and then the left hand column on the division outliner, you can add things like an engineer company, uh, a, an, an artillery company or something. And that will, that will provide the, it's, it's classified as, as a support unit as a part of that division. You also, however, have the option of, of sometimes putting some units directly in the battle line. Uh, you can put, you can just like put artillery into the battle line of, of a division. Um, presumably this all matters for things like having a support battalion versus line artillery. Mm -hmm. And there, there's there's a doctrine that makes a pretty explicit choice. Like, like how are you, how are you deploying artillery? I have no freaking clue, and the game gives me no tools uh, to decipher what that difference really means, how to parse it, and how that will affect the way units behave on the battlefield. And that's really frustrating, because like there is so much about this game that involves customization, and a lot of times I feel like I'm groping my way toward it. And that's kind of true for all Paradox games, but it's especially true here because there's so many variables in play, and none of them are explained particularly well, and a manual really could have done God's work uh, to explain exactly how they're modeling combat and what you should be taking into account when you design units. The tutorial is very unhelpful as well, I find, because it's very strange in that it's split between everything you click on has a sort of box with a hint. Um, and while the hints are kind of quite simple and you, you know, because quite clear what they're telling you, they aren't really, they, they don't go into any sort of depth about the systems. Um, and then the other half of it is a sort of scenario with Italy and you're just, you're taking over Ethiopia and stuff like that. But it's so short and it, it doesn't even cover what I would consider the basics. It covers the basics of the basics. And then that's it. Go play the game. 
But I don't, and I think in some paradox games, I'm not going to say it's forgivable, but I can sort of overcome that with greater ease because the games aren't so clearly about winning something. They're about playing through the this kind of era. But with this, it, it's about World War II. It's about winning World War II, ostensibly. So there, there are clear, you know, there's a clear victory goal that you're rushing towards. And not being able to discern things about stats and doctrines and things like that, or even how to like use the Air Force, because that's not clear from the tutorial either. Um, not having that information makes it really difficult to win the war, which is the thing that you're trying to do. So it, it comes across as even worse than any other paradox game where you kind of you can just meander throughout history and it's more about, especially in CK2, kind of role-playing. So it doesn't matter if you're winning or losing, but it very much does in Hearts of Iron. And it can be uh, it can be profoundly frustrating at first because you have uh, these situations where you're like, oh, they have a bunch of tanks, but I've got all this infantry. I mean, this the planner here says I'm going to do well. I'll just I'll just attack, and then it it works, and you're not really sure why it worked, but it worked, right? So you just kind of go for it, um, and then your battle line starts to spread out and kind of begin to collapse, and then suddenly you're losing, um, and it's really almost impossible as a as a new player in this game to identify where your plan went wrong or why your uh your army is falling apart all of a sudden uh when you know uh, a couple months prior it was doing great i wonder if there's even this time uh an incentive for paradox to improve that sort of thing because the amount of people i speak to who are younger than me learn how to play games through wikis and even more so videos and when you've got a lot of youtubers they had access to the game before it came out and they were able to upload tutorials and let's plays before launch um so people were just watching them i mean they were getting mad numbers loads of people just watching that's how they were learning to play the game i do not want to have to find a youtuber who may not know what the hell they're talking about yeah because they're not not part of paradox they might be giving me and and i've watched youtube videos where they are simply giving wrong information it's not their fault they have this like lack of documentation problem as well so they're often just guessing um so you watch that video, you think you've got a grasp of how to play the game, you go to play it and you realise, oh, actually, I got all the wrong information. Um, but it's, it's a very strange situation. Well, and, and because so much of this game is about, like, allocation of very limited resources, like, and and there's only so many spots slots for stuff you can load into divisions, like, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, boy, I sure hope these anti-aircraft batteries that I've got like four or five factories like <laughs> devoted to. I sure hope they're contributing something to this entire like air war or they're doing something to help this like panzer division uh, when it sort of outruns friendly air cover. But I really, I couldn't really tell you. And it's possible that for like four years of the war, I've got a bunch of factories <laughs> dedicated to uh, basically like nerf weapons. <laughs> uh, and I just, I, I just don't really know. So yeah, I, I agree. Like that was a real disappointment, and I think it's like I understand. Yeah, like like you said, Bruce, I understand why the stuff doesn't get prioritized. Uh, but I do think this game is ill served by that decision because I think 
it's a game that makes me want to know more about how things are working, right? Like, after you sort of fussed around with all these systems and, and sort of, you know, gotten your hands dirty a little bit, eventually you're going to want to start to sort of research, you know, you're going to have questions. And like, well, you know, what should I tweak? What should I be doing? And it would be a chance to sort of appreciate maybe more of the richness of the game, but the manual doesn't exist that could that could help you with that. Uh, so no, I totally share that concern. But you mentioned there were there were other issues, Bruce, uh, and I'm, I'm curious to hear you continue that thought. Well, I just I don't really think that the combat is very I, from a. I think it's fine, but from a from the war game standpoint that I am approaching it from. It just, I don't think the the fronts thing, they don't quite work. I don't think supply is really as supply-y as it should be. Um, you know, I have single divisions that just drive halfway across a, uh, a map that, you know, they don't seem to run out of gas. Um, it's just very, I don't, I don't really think the logistics work, and I'm not sure that, I think that the way that the, the map is set up, you know, the map is these, these provinces and you're, you're sort of moving across these provinces, but I'm not sure that the actual sort of, you know, um, I, the, the mobile warfare that it's trying to represent or trying to portray or whatever, or trying to simulate is very dependent on certain infrastructure being present, such as, you know, roads and railroads and things like that, and taking advantage of road networks and supplying and having, you know, having the supply be able to access this road network and your troops, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't, I don't see that really working very well because I don't have, you know, I sort of make my, my, um, I make my grand plans sort of, you know, push these guys this way. And that, that's fine. I mean, I think it's trying to make you be um, this, you know, Stalin deciding. I mean, you get a whole bunch of me messages, right? Like, shoot this guy or execute this guy or don't execute that guy. So you they clearly think you're Stalin, right? But then you're also sort of, you can go down and you micromanage, well, you know, this division has to be on this front. And at that point, I think it kind of breaks down. I think it breaks down in the same way that, uh, you know, the operational art of war breaks down. When you really dig down mm. there and realize that the Jeeps are, you know, are destroying <laughs> the Tigers, that it just kind of all falls apart for you. And I wish it would just not – I mean, if you're going to do it this way, I I would be great not having to do all that. But then I'm counting how many support weapons I'm making. I mean, it just kind of – it just seems like a big mess. And – and I understand, I mean, I understand the design sort of uh, goal, which is that you want, a, you know, a, a strategic sort of gr big brush general situation that you then get to fiddle around with and make all these decisions. And, and you get to touch all this history. Like um, I was just having, interestingly enough, I was just having a discussion with Mark Herman the other day for, for a podcast. And uh, he commented on how the Japanese, because they weren't pressed by the, um, by the Chinese in that land campaign, they didn't really develop their infantry weapons and their tanks. Mm -hmm. So that when the Soviets came through Manchuria in 1945, the, the Japanese were obviously exhausted, but they just didn't have anything that could take on, you know, these T-34s or, you know, uh, IS-2s, right? I mean, they were just, they, they were completely helpless. And so it's interesting. It's nice that the game tries to capture some of this stuff, but it, it just, I feel like it, it doesn't know when to stop. And I think part of that feeds back into the, the, the front lines and the way that you do battle plans that, I mean, I just get these bizarre fronts that don't make any sense. And that I don't think could yeah. exist just because of, because of supply considerations, frankly, um, 
And so it just kind of breaks that for me. I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that, you know, this makes it a bad game. I'm saying that if that's what it's trying to achieve, it doesn't really it doesn't really work as an actual war game about World War II, which it may not want to be in the first place. I think the way I phrased it in my review is that it is an impressionist war game of World War II. Uh, it's, I, I think it does tend to break down in those details, but at the same time, I don't know. Like I, you know, some of the things you mentioned, I actually really enjoy. So you mentioned like you're counting support weapons, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I actually really enjoyed. And, and, and like I'm gonna admit, this is absolutely one of my buttons. Like this is like this is this is an itch that I have that like if a game scratches it, it's very satisfying for me. I love like optimizing uh, a resource flow, mm-hmm. right? Like I love a good logistical chain from you know from the research and development program through production all the way to deployment. And the ways this game lets me touch that stuff, mm-hmm. the fact that like. I'm throwing, you know, every, you know, every month or so I'm throwing open the, uh, the logistics tab and checking the, uh, it tells you how much of, how much stuff mm-hmm. of each weapon type right. you have in your inventory, yeah. uh, as well as your daily, uh, rate of production versus consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you net positive or, or net negative and balancing all that stuff through the lens of uh, the way factory production works, where you're encouraged to plan in advance and leave uh, production chains set up for a long time so they become more and more efficient, um, that was really, really enjoyable for me. Like To me, that felt like this is absolutely what I signed up for, right? This is, this is me playing, uh, you know, to a degree, like it's it may, maybe, maybe not necessarily Stalin, but maybe like George Marshall, right? Where, where you're sort of sitting and saying, well, what, what kind of army are we going to build? And uh, what kind of army do we have right now? And how do we employ that effectively? I really love that the game is constantly sort of forcing you to dig into those, uh, those marginal spaces between like, you know, your ideal that you're building towards and uh, sort of the, the contingencies of the moment. And I really enjoyed that. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make those decisions, but I mean, I'm looking at my screen right now. Uh, I just opened this one, this one game that I've been playing um, on Iron Man, by the way. I, don't, I think it should be illegal, punishable by uh, time and a county lockup to not play on Iron Man. <laughs> um, the, uh, the infantry equipment I have is four. I have, I have a surplus that looks like 4.01K. Does it need? Oh, well, no, sorry, sorry. It's, it's, it's 4.03. Hold on one second. It's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's 4.05. Okay. okay. I mean, do I need to know that? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, I feel like if you're going to design something and you're going to t- look at it from a very strategic sort of perspective, then it would be simply, it would be certainly reasonable to make some of these things um, show up in, in sort of quanta that are more in line with that, right? Would you rather um, just have it where it's telling you you have enough, you don't have enough, and that I don't have enough, it- you know, ch- change my change my reason. I mean, I don't feel like like the like I have to. <clears throat> it, it's the it's that thing. I don't know. Did you guys play Hearts of Iron three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so you had like you know five thousand metal or whatever, and you just were like, oh, I oh uh, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so I feel like they did some stuff with this that is very admirable. They say they said, okay, well, let's have strategic resources, and then let's distribute the strategic resources around the map. And then let's say in lots of twenty 
10 yeah. Yeah, easily comprehensible numbers Great. and you're usually like yeah. you either have a net need of like four or five mm-hmm. or a uh, net surplus Beautiful. of like a half dozen and that's easy to comprehend i agree so great so then why why do i have and, and i have to even have to look right i have to look to see if there's a k next to it right because i'm down 215 heavy tanks but i'm down 113 1.13 k light tanks so i mean it, it, trying to Trying to do this, you know, trying to look at these things quickly and then translate in that into something you're, you're working in sort of orders of magnitude. Um, I just feel like a lot of this stuff could have been could have been abstracted a little bit or not even abstracted, just not reported in this way or 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 fed through the system. I feel like there's a whole bunch of numbers under here that I really need to pay attention to. But I, but I just don't think that that would be. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Why, why do I have to pay attention to 10, 10 I'm sending, I'm sending the, the, the Spanish 100 guns a month or something like that, right? I mean, why do I care? Why, is, why do I care? And then I have a thing come up and say, Tukhachevsky can't be trusted. Let's shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, mean, I, love that the, I love the doctors on this show basically complaining about sig figs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, but no I, I kind of get the point. I actually, uh, I think the ultimate example of what what Bruce's problem is here is the way that air combat is managed, where you can micromanage down to the last individual plane how many planes are present in a region of battle. Whereas uh, with tanks, it's like you're going to put these things into a division in units of 40 or they're not going to have any tanks at all. All right. That's how this is going to work. It it seems like the game does oddly pick and choose where numerical granularity is present. Um, and supply, I think is another place where that's just, it's just strange, right? It's, it's a number on the interface. Um, and sometimes you're in supply and then sometimes you, Mm -hmm. you cross a line on the map and, uh, a million men are starving to death. Yeah. I think the supply is just completely broken from a war fighting standpoint. I, I think it's, I think it's completely broken. What it feels like to me is a game that has been in development for a very long time and has been like changed and tweaked mm-hmm. constantly Certainly. so that it becomes kind of a little bit inconsistent because you have these yeah. like tiers of of uh, of numbers almost where you've got things that are completely so you've got like your economy is completely like abstract. But mm-hmm. then you've got, and then you've got it where with the resources, where they're all just kind of piled into much smaller bite-sized numbers. And then you've got, uh, as John mentioned, the, the planes, where it's just you can manage like one bloody plane. Um, <sighs> when yeah. is, that's never going to help you. Adding one more plane is not going to do anything. Yeah, uh, I, or or maybe it will, but since there's no manual, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I always well, just put a okay. hundred. It's always a hundred for me. That's the smallest number I'll go down to. Yeah. You got you okay, you guys have definitely put your finger, I think, on the place where it breaks down the worst though. I I think the air combat is where the entire like uh you know outflow income of production and then like the the consumption of aircraft in combat, uh all of it at least from it like admittedly I am excessively influenced by one book that Bruce lent me a couple years ago about the Battle of Britain when it comes to my understanding of like World War II air combat. Mm-hmm. But my God, does this game t- tend to view World War II air combat is this game of just pure attrition, who has more planes, mm-hmm. who can throw more at the enemy. Um and once two air fleets meet, 
they shoot each other down like flies, mm-hmm. like within within the space of like a day of yeah. an air superiority battle, like just a like just everyone's gutted. Um, it like and and that was that was a place where it was a little frustrating because I think in terms of aircraft production, the game kind of gets it right. Uh, aircraft are enormously difficult to mass produce, and they require a major effort to field a a massive air fleet. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but then when it comes time to have air combat, uh, they are just burned up, uh, just at a, a, just at an astonishing rate. Um, and in this, like by this game's lights, I just don't see like the way this game models World War II air, like air combat, like the Luftwaffe would have ceased to exist. Like the moment the eighth air force showed up, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like they, like nobody would have seen, seen a German fighter after like 1943, just what there wouldn't have been. It does model Uh, air combat that way. I mean, I, I've had multiple games, uh, in the allies where literally by 1943, the Germans have no air force, nor do the Italians. Yeah. And you, the thing is, it's so important as well. I, I would say like you, you can't really win a battle without air support. Um, mm-hmm. They put so much stock in it. And yet it is. And it's not even just that they, they drop like flies. It's also just a pain in the ass to manage. There's mm-hmm. so much clicking and fiddling. And then so often I'm like, why can't I do this? Uh, like, I'm, I feel like I'm fighting that system more than anything else in the game. Um, I feel like I'm fighting it worse when it comes to carrier aircraft. Uh, managing carrier air fleets really uh, started to get me down. Because there's another level of faffing. <laughs> there is, yeah, there's, it's it's extra fussy. And because this is a game where like more aircraft just tend to be good, like just throw more planes into the problem. But then it has this realistic like, okay, well, an aircraft carrier in this era can only field like 60, 60 planes. Uh, and I'm like, boy, though this game kind of exists in a world where like air, like air sectors are occupied, like their like air battles are fought by like wings of 600. Uh, so this carrier fleet coming close to this island begins to feel a little bit uh, powerless, and I'm not sure that t- entirely sits well with me. Um, but yeah, the the air the air stuff, I, I think the the way it the 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 combat attrition is modeled uh and the way that sort of uh connects with production uh seems like it it causes some problems although although jonathan you seem to figure a way around it uh by going to a more uh less air superiority model and doing more interception right yeah i uh after a while i started to decide that fighters were just pouring resources into a black abyss um and so i started to build only a handful of fighters and use them to just beat off whatever my opponents were using. Um, And then since gun size seems to have a lot of bearing on air combat, I would just put the biggest guns I could on my close air support (laughs) aircraft and enemy fighters would come in to intercept them and die horrendously in the meantime. Um, I don't know. How do you know that was happening? So there's a, there's an odd little chart you can bring up in the top right corner of any mm-hmm. given air interface to see yeah. the recent history. So like dates, months, and years of enemy casualties, your casualties in that air zone, enemy buildings bombed, your buildings bombed, troops strafed, and all kinds of things like that. Um, I don't necessarily know that all of that data is useful or means anything intelligible to most players, yeah. um, but I did notice a sev- extreme uptick in the rate of enemy fighters dying uh, versus my fighters dying when I stopped telling my fighters to actually go fight 
the enemy. Hmm. But how did you realize the gun size was? Because I was I was pouring points into because uh, as units, uh, as your your army, your navy, and your air force all gain experience from combat. Right. And one of the things you can do is you spend those experience points on upgrades for uh, important pieces of equipment. So uh, you may not want have the ability to invest in researching like 1944 tanks in the year 1942, that may not be in the cards, but you can take your 1942 era tank and create a variant uh, with a bigger gun, better armor, stuff like that, which is, you know, which is why there's like 80 different models of Panzer IV, right? This is, this is what everyone was, was kind of doing. Uh, But when I was doing that with aircraft, I was like, I was pouring those experience points into things like uh, agility and, and such. I wasn't. I, I I never just min-maxed and said just put the biggest freaking guns <laughs> onto it possible because uh, I was figuring well they they'll be less agile and I want Spitfires up there. Uh, so like, how were you able to track down like the, the the big gun fighters were just like massacring people? I I, I think for fighters maneuverability really matters, um, but I'm not sure it matters as much for like close air support. Okay. Or tactical and strategic bombers. I think the way they're actually going to do damage is just by having an unreasonably large cannon on the front. Okay, interesting. Um, but they're not going to be that doing is, that dogfighting as as much. Yeah. So right, it makes I, sense. I think they can't it? just hope to match. So you just need to. I don't know what's going on underneath the hood, and I can't right. say it was a particularly rigorous analysis. <laughs> but you just but, need to, but it felt like they were taking they were taking their toll on enemy fighters, intercepting them if they had big guns. They definitely. I felt like they were. It was the okay. the if they get a hit, it'll kill the other guy strategy. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but you know, so I think the fighters are the the weird part. But I, I feel like, you know, when when you say like you know the the game deals in those weird lots of of equipment, right? So you have like uh, four thousand four point two seven k of support weapons, uh, like twelve point two k of infantry weapons, and then you have like one k of surplus of uh, of light tanks. Uh, okay, those are those are wildly different numbers, but I kind of liked the fact that you have to sort of be taking into account the fact that um some of these weapons are just. So, I, I feel like having that scale was important to sort of make clear the production difficulties of one weapon type versus another. Like to me it to me it felt pretty intuitive, right? Like that uh, each aircraft was sort of this this precious snowflake uh, that represented a lot of industrial uh, investment. Whereas, you know, it was very easy to sort of just crank out infantry stuff as needed because uh, it's a very quick thing to produce. And so, I don't know, it's just, it kind of worked for me that I was dealing in these different sizes. I a little bit, I think, wouldn't be frustrated if uh, the way, say, air wings were deployed, if it was just in, say, uh, units of 50 planes. Yes. And they were reinforced individually, much like a, a heavy tank battalion is, um, but they did at least just have some degree of chunkiness to them so that you weren't like okay i'm gonna put 232 plates yep. <laughs> yeah that- it's that 232nd that really that really won the battle of britain it tips yeah. it over well, well i feel like yeah. that you know that's really to me that's design focus you know that's it's it's uh it, they're trying to make all these these large-scale decisions and then forcing you into the small-scale decision and i wonder if that isn't part of the you know just the that's the cost of doing business when you're making a computer game because if you don't 
let people fiddle with things that are going to get frustrated because the type of player I think that plays these kind of games uh, is going to get frustrated when they can't do mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I mean, it sure probably increases your replayability because the first few times that you do it, you have absolutely no idea what's going on. I'm curious, Rob, <laughs> you know, we played um, Triumph and Tragedy. With, yes. Which is, uh, you know, a Second World War game that doesn't necessarily have to be historical. And what how do you what do you think about that? What do you, or what do you think about the game now having played a board game that goes like that? Yeah. Uh, well, Bruce, do you remember when I was sitting there and we were playing it? I turned you at one point. I think I actually said, like, oh, man, this game is like Hearts of Iron 4, but like just simpler and better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't like, remember you like saying her- that, but it's, I, I entirely believe that you did. Uh, yeah, because Triumph and Tragedy is kind of this really simple, like, uh, it's European only, mm-hmm. uh, well, European focus only, right. but it's this simple board game that's really kind of covering the same ground as the Hearts of Iron series. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the alliances going to look like? Who's going to strike at who, mm-hmm. when? Uh, all that all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I still think... Like, I think Triumph and Tragedy is overall a better game. Oh, it's definitely uh, a better game. There's that's no question. Yeah, because there's just there's just more harmony between like the scale you're operating at and the decisions it sort of puts before you, uh, the way it tends to unfold. It just it, it just it just works uh, a little more cleanly. I think Hearts of Iron Four um, works for me because even though it's nowhere near as clean as as a game like Triumph and Tragedy, which which really sort of boils the strategic issues down to their essence. Uh, but at the same time, it does give me that ability to sort of set things in motion, like, uh, okay, the Germans are fighting the Soviets in 1940 instead of 41. Uh, they're not going west, they're going east. Um, and then it lets, lets me take that big decision, and then it lets me uh, sort of get obsessive about creating my little you know mini barbarossa plans mm-hmm. and who is going to strike when and telling when my commanders to to, to sort of begin rolling the divisions across the border mm-hmm. uh and and so that that stuff i think you know it's that that ends up working for me by the way liberia just joined the allies in my game uh here so they eventually very, they eventually did uh, very important. In, in my games as well yeah, yeah. Well, it does matter i'm sure it does to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, I think the strangest thing uh, in the game, at least, um, speaking of Liberia mm-hmm. joining the Allies, the game doesn't actually have much of an end compared to other mm-hmm. Paradox games. Um, and so there is the situation where you want to end the mm-hmm. game, so you have to invade Liberia. Or you you end up, you know, with this weird allied foothold in Africa and so you need to kick him out of Africa, and then you've got to go invade America, and then you've got to go invade Australia. Um, did anyone else have that experience, the sort of frustration of closing in on the end Well, you weren't game? kidding. I thought you meant you had to invade Liberia because that's where liberty lives. I mean, that is – that's where freedom is from, as I understand it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm not Interesting. kidding. Uh, there is a lot of just invading random countries to get them to surrender. What, to, to try I never got to that like, point. Yes. Is that is that true? Yes. That's that's very uh, interesting. Uh, yes, it can get very. The grindy. game doesn't yeah. really sense when a faction should have thrown in the towel and everything should have been done. 
right? Like that's that hmm. is kind of an issue. But like, what, so I just tend to abandon games, right? So I was like, sort of when I was reviewing this, I was sort of hopping from like, okay, well I played the Russians a bunch. Now I gotta go. All right, time to go see Japan and all this. And I wasn't like, I only played Italy up until like the late for uh, the, the late World War Two, like uh, you know forty four, forty five. Um, but I wasn't. I was having wars sort of hit the tip, the point where it's like, okay, this this is done, uh, and then I'd go and and play something else. But from what I've been seeing, you get up to John and uh, stuff that Rowan has been talking about on Twitter. Uh, now I'm beginning to get concerned. Like, is there like what is the point at which the game says the war is over? Because like. You know, the, it it looks to me like people like now the factions need to conquer every corner of the earth, uh, and the game may still not end. Uh, so, what is the tipping point at which this is all over? I I can't say I can definitively identify it. Um, when I was playing as Italy, it was 1952. I had conquered all of America, and the lone allied bastions in the world were Australia and Peru. Um, but I had to go nuke Australia and then invade mainland Australia to get the Allies to actually surrender. You Three nuked times. Australia? That's the origin oh story of Mad Max. Very nice. It's strange that they haven't created a, a more logical model for factions to capitulate in the same way that they do it, like nations capitulating. Um, because it's all about you know unity and things like that so mm -hmm. it kind of you understand like what you have to do to make a nation surrender mm -hmm. um or knock them out right but when you've got when you're dealing with much bigger groups and you've got factions spread all over the globe it's not mm -hmm. that simple and it doesn't right. seem like they've added an answer to that there it's just oh you've just got to take them over right. um yeah. which isn't as interesting because by the point that you've got to there you're already so strong you've won the game Right. But now you're just having to actually go and clean up, really. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I really like the um, the the way that they did the sort of national unity, and you can sort of oh yeah, I uh, think it's great. You know, they you can undermine their national unity, and they can have um, uh, you know, you can you can you can take victory points that uh, that sort of you know you don't necessarily take the capital, but they're the country's just like oh man, we're and they have then they have a civil war. I mean, it's, it's very I, they. I, I they think they put a lot of thought into some of this political stuff. Um, I just I, I feel like it didn't get extent like you're saying with the factions, and I feel like with the combat, they just either didn't think through or they just sort of let everything flow through by itself because they had these engines and they just said, okay, that's how it's going to work. Um, I don't uh, I I don't see a whole design here. I see them. Uh, just like I'm, I'm curious. If you got who who has seen these this game from um, the? Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Fraser. Did you and, and Rob see the the previous yeah. build? I mean the the the, the summer mm -hmm. build. Yeah, yeah. And, and but we never got very far in it because it was pretty, uh, yeah. It was a bit we. It was a bit weird, and there was a lot of stuff they that was kind of almost placeholder. And when you've got they split it up into like different games as well, so it was like small group. Yeah, and and uh, basically, the axis got knocked out like in nineteen thirty nine. Yeah. Basically, every, every time. time. Uh, is this is this a completely different game then? No, well, no. Almost everything that I sort of had a problem with then exists in some form mm -hmm. in in the the launch build. 
Um, but it's definitely improved, like dramatically. Yeah. But um, but there are almost like shadows of these problems persist. But we did not get to see very far into the game because it would. I mean, I think our first game was with you as as Germany, wasn't it, Rob? And it yeah. was like you're basically just waiting for global tension, and then global tension gets uh, to well, hundred, and then the allies just basically stomp all over uh, the axis. Well, and what was happening in in my game was like I was trying a thing where I was seeing if Germany could sort of. Um, like delay the 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 coalescence of the allies and the problem was the allies were finding ways to jack up world tension so that by 19 like like 38 39 um they effectively existed uh like by 1939 like america was part of the allies uh basically like everybody was ready for war and so at that point it was like um i don't really have an option here and uh Oh yeah, so I just am triggering the war uh, with with, with try, making a, a national decision uh, to uh, remilitarize the Rhineland, which had already happened via another system. So, th- like, basically, there's been a lot of cleanup uh, on the game. Like, the air interface uh, is so so much better now, uh, believe it or not, than it was uh, in the in the old edition of the game. Uh, your plane reserves would just appear uh, in in a panel. In lots of like a thousand. Oh wow! And you would have to drag them to airfields on the map uh, out of out of your out of your plane closet, basically, uh, in the in these mass groups. And it was just it was excruciating. And when once they were committed, like good luck ever finding them again. Uh, so it was like they basically like cleaned up a lot of the interface. Uh, I feel like they rebalanced resources quite a bit uh, because like when when I played it uh, once the war started like Germany and the Axis basically lost the ability to make any and all advanced weapons. Uh, they just had no more resources. Now it's not quite as drastic, uh, that, that they lose access to, to what, to, uh, production resources. So I think everything's just a little better tuned, a, a little polished. Um, I tended to think that it addressed a lot of my problems and, Getting a chance to play more of it, I started to really uh, enjoy the, the 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 war game aspect and the production aspect that that was there. It's um it's strangely uh, one of the paradox games I want to play least multiplayer again. Um, I like playing paradox games in multiplayer a lot, but it, I feel that when you get a big group in a World War Two game. Everyone wants to just kick off World War II immediately. Um, and so you're rushing through the whole beginning bit, which is like ostensibly the grand strategy part, uh, just to, to kick up global tensions so you can actually just get to fighting. Um, and I, I quite liked, and as that's what you were trying to do as well, Rob, delaying that, um, because I want to dig into the diplomacy and the politics and the actual management, actual management of my nation. Um, Although I, I, I do feel that that hasn't really been fleshed out as much as I'd hoped. Um, there are a lot of limitations before 1939. Um, so I, I, can, I guess that if you do extend it further, then it would maybe just get a little bit dull. Because it's so hard to like create factions or alliances and, and kind of work with, with other nations if global tension is low. Because nobody wants to be your friend unless it looks like Armageddon's coming. Uh, it's very strange. As Italy, one of my early goals was to buddy up with 
the uh, the Spanish nationalists. So I would send them volunteers, help because that seems to be the only way now that the Spanish Civil War can get won by the fascists uh, is if a player actually helps them. Um, so I would do that. I would have a great relationship with them. I helped them with the war. We've got the the same ideology. Uh, we're not kind of in competition, and yet they simply wouldn't want to join a faction or buddy up to me because we weren't at war. And it's kind of just waiting for things to happen is is a lot of that early phase of the game between thirty six and thirty nine. Um, unless you're playing as a, an already quite aggressive power, uh, you are just kind of waiting for the war to kick off. Yeah, it's interesting that there's so little, like you were saying about the the, the Spanish Civil War not being winnable by the uh, fascists unless the um, unless a player goes in there and gives. And, and then when have you played as the as the uh, allies or some other like the, for example, a Soviets and given volunteers and, and one have the Repu- the yep. uh, yeah. Republicans win the won war. Won that for them in like five yeah. minutes. So and it's really easy because I mean you can have three. You can just send in three divisions. That's it. And you'd think that this is too small. This isn't going to have any impact. But right. you win the war with them. Uh, hmm. and because I've noticed that like a lot of the times the AI doesn't really think about national unity. It's weird watching the AI, like being involved in what is really just an AI war. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the communists versus the fascists in Spain. And watching them do bugger all. Um, they will just kind of create their lines mm-hmm. and like, yes. and then just wait. And at first I'm like, okay, they're obviously waiting for the integrity of the line to, to get to max so they can have the best chance. I get that. But then they're just still not moving. And then they wait for me and my three divisions to move. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they'll move. So it felt like I was actually managing this war, but I had so little to work with. And it was a very... But it, luckily... You can win that so bloody quickly. It's not a huge problem, but it does reveal a slightly larger problem with the AI uh, Mm -hmm. uh, on the whole. Well, I mean, I think that there's a a lot of stuff. I don't know if it's if if the things are just programmed so that what you can move things along to your sort of, um, you know, along your desires right i mean you decide that okay we're going to win the the nationalists are going to win or the republicans are going you just send your troops and you win um and then you push things along the the um i i i i think that there's a lot of stuff that's not it's it's it would be difficult to have people put resources into things that were really sort of impossible to impossible to succeed at right i mean we're talking before the show started where i had i was playing the soviets and the uh you know we were building up for this tension with the germans and all of a sudden because i had been from the from the beginning of the game i had been uh you know bolstering the german communist party um and then all of a sudden sometime in 1939 the germans said oh you know what we're communists and that was it they now it's a socialist republic of germany and uh kaboom and uh you know the, the idea that you could just you know, send money to the Soviet, to the German communists and have them somehow, you know, overthrow Hitler seems, you know, kind of fanciful given what we know about history. But if you didn't do that, if you didn't allow those things to, to pay off, then it, once again, you're straightjacketing the, the way the game's going to play out. So I, I, I wonder how much of that is the AI and how much of that is actually the way Paradox wants the game to go. I mean, I, don't, I have no way of determining either of those things. But if you don't get involved in, say, the Spanish Civil War, you just kind of see what happens. It's not much. It's basically like it, it, every time that I wasn't actually getting involved, it was the 
uh, it would stay communist. The, the nationalists would get defeated. But it was just so slow because there was almost no real aggression. They would just, it was like the AI is just doing its battle plans and then just yes. waiting. Yeah. Um, it's it's like basically watching a siege happen, <laughs> a really slow siege where everyone's just got toothpicks. Um, and it's I, I don't think that is, there's not any real tension. And it feels like the world is, is not doing any, it, anything unless I'm involved. Yeah. Then that doesn't feel like a living world. Hmm. So we should talk about the the military side of this a, a little bit more. We talk about like the battle plans, uh, which you can sort of draft battle plans and assign divisions to uh, sort of assault sectors and uh, let them sort of prepare and then give them the sign and they'll they'll, they'll sort of go and you'll see it all unfold on, on the map and it looks cool. Um, I think there's places where the military system works pretty well and I see like cool things that, that feel real good as like the kind of stuff I want to see in a World War II game. And then there's places where uh, it just doesn't seem to work very well, uh, particularly because uh, in some cases the AI doesn't seem to have a grasp of certain types of warfare or or what it should be doing. And I, I think... I think the game is sort of blessed and cursed by the fact that uh, the AI, the the entire game sort of operates on this foundation of um, like massed warfare along linear fronts. Mm -hmm. And where you can have that kind of war, the game looks pretty good. Like I have had some awesome like multi-year back and forths uh, on the Polish and Western Russian uh, plane. Like I've had some great... Uh, German-Soviet wars in this game uh, that felt just right, or, or as close to it as, as I expect from a game like this. Uh, but in places where the fronts are maybe a little bit different, or the geography is a little more complicated, I don't always see the AI behaving very sensibly. Uh, and when it comes to things like naval invasions and island hopping, uh, everything kind of seems to go to hell in a handbasket, uh, you know, in record time. I was wondering what you guys make of all this. You know, I I don't think the AI is well-tuned to take advantage of the composition of its forces. Um, I've seen the German AI uh, mass armor in one spot and then throw it forward, presumably to, to make a breakthrough and an encirclement um mm -hmm. and they set themselves up for a beautiful encirclement um and then the two arms of their uh advancing army just keep going straight forward just in a long snake straight towards in this case it was it was the enemy capital um and i'm not sure if that's because of the ai being just programmed to use the battle planner right um it just sets out some battle plans and and maybe just goes from there. Without when you can see what your AI buddies' battle plans are, like you get a sense that the, the AI doesn't have a great sense of like the way a front should like where you should be operating. Yeah, at a given it, time. it tends to just group uh, eighty units into a giant uh, army and then say, "Yeah, go towards that line. I like that line that's just on the other side of Moscow. Do that." It's very direct. Um, so that not really, there's not really much nuance when it comes to the AI, uh, when it's in, when it's playing aggressively. Um, and you, what you're saying about having it just kind of make, like basically acting like a snake. If you just, the, the, I was kind of fiddling around with, with Germany, uh, when I first got the game and I kind of just, 
left things alone and I, I just kind of let the allies just engulf me. And it was just so strange to kind of watch where they were going and what objectives they were trying to achieve. Um, and it just became this giant kind of clusterfuck, really, where the map just didn't make any sense anymore because it, w- it was almost like they were knitting. Uh, everything was crisscrossing and they weren't working together either. It was very unusual to watch and it just it almost seemed random, like they were just cutting straight through the map. Yeah, I think that the operational planning is very ambitious um, from a sort of a military simulation standpoint. I mean, this is stuff that... Uh, you know, Panther Games has been doing for a while. Um, I, I don't. I, th- I think that this is you know done on a very simplistic level, which isn't bad. I mean, it's not. I think that if you you really made people dig into this and and you know have to assign, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take this road network because these trucks have to get through here to you know supply these pans. It would just be impossible. But um, but yeah, I, I agree that I don't think that the the game understands how. It's it's kind of like you know they talked about how uh, you know Civ Five didn't know how to how to take advantage of its units. I'm not sure that this game knows how to take advantage of the way that combat is is set up. Um, I I do note that you know once again you know all these lines like you said they're spaghetti. I mean they just units are all over the place. There are, there's no they're not in clear positions where I think anybody could really get any supply. Um, and and I also don't even think that you know the the game isn't good at the fact that certain conflicts, you know, were not, um, uh, you know, linear frontline, you know, endeavors like, you know, North Africa, you know, here you, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's setting these kind of things in North Africa just seems silly. And and frankly, you know, the 1930s, the, 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 um, the Spanish civil war, and I mean, this is getting a little, you know, picky, but you know, that was not a really frontline battle either. I mean, there were, there were, there were sort of, um, those those armies weren't that well coordinated, so there were a lot of you know single column sort of you know this is where the nationalist defensive is here, this is where the nationalist defensive is here, here you know we've got you've got guys spread out all over and they're doing weird stuff. I think that's just the AI. I mean it it doesn't simulate that very well, but I I'd, I'd be willing. I mean it's there's it's not a problem to have a game that's trying to to do all this all these things, and um, and have it sort of fumble certain certain. Uh, certain parts of the way its combat works because it's not paying attention to all these individual things. The art of that is to, is to hide it, right? Is to, is to show that, well, okay, there really aren't any front lines in North Africa. If it's not going to work that way in North Africa, you have to, you have to, you have to depict it in some other way. So it, so it doesn't, uh, it, it, and it kind of falls apart. Um, I, I, you know, you couldn't supply all those guys that way. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you when you really stare down at it. So you have to get the my, I get my enjoyment out of, out of different things in this game. Um, I'm really curious as to how um, how Paradox is going to start tweaking this because I'm sure they're going to you know go just go crazy oh, tweaking yeah. it. But I also think the oh the one uh, sorry the one thing I was going to mention was that uh, you know this is the this is the part of the of the Paradox games where. Um, you know, in, in 1410, it was fine to have a bunch of, you know, German knights, you know, just march in a straight line until somebody battled them and they got killed. Right. Yeah. But it's not okay to do that in 1942. So, um, well, so it's interesting. I see I, what I have seen is I haven't seen a lot of AI marching in a straight line or at least not effectively because the AI seems so, uh, hell bent on maintaining its fronts that it will like completely 
diminish like any kind of like thrust to towards an objective because the units that are like poised for the mm-hmm. breakthrough will start garrisoning their line of advance basically and so it just like loses steam because like at every turn like an armored division gets parked to sort of maintain this sector of the salient um and that happens on a big enough scale where it's like, well, there should be infantry units pouring into the gap here to sort of hold it open. Uh, but instead, you sort of see like an, an armored, uh, you know, an armored core, uh, you know, create a little bump in the line. And then it sort of fans out and defends its breakthrough and uh, doesn't keep going as much. The only time I, I had real like um, like deep strikes behind my lines was where they'd completely like broken me. And then they were just pouring into uh, undefeated, uh, you know, rear territory. Um, but at the same time, like I see, I, I've had a, a ton of fun uh, with with a lot of these with a lot of these battles. Like I've had really excellent, uh, you know. Huge, huge continent-spanning wars in Africa, uh, for instance, where there's fighting in North Africa and then a ridiculous, like, you know, campaign, uh, you know, up the Nile, uh, you know, trying to try, you know, trying to get all the way down to like, uh, you know, Kenya. And those are those are places like where this game has room to create those big fronts. It may be wildly ahistorical, um, but it's still it feels pretty good to me. Like when I was fighting, when I was starting to leave like North Africa and just trying to wipe all the, uh, the allies uh, out of Africa and, and take all their colonies. Uh, I was, I was sort of satisfied with, with how many obstacles supply was actually giving me uh, where like my, I was having, I was having to bring a ton of units down to drive these British and French forces out like South uh, out of Africa, but there was no infrastructure. So I had huge, you know, huge, like huge chunks of territory where I just couldn't couldn't move many troops through at a time uh, without taking massive attrition. I think the supply system is maybe a little too it isn't granular granular enough, maybe. Yeah, and I think there's not enough ways to uh, manipulate it um, yeah. to your advantage. So, I mean, the the Normandy invasion in uh, in Hearts of Iron would have been a disaster, and everyone would have died. I mean that's sort of my my grand example of a a World War Two thing that is incredibly iconic that you simply can't do uh, in this game um, because simply the... because of how supply transfers from province to province and the utter necessity of a a port which is is sort of fits the historicity of the time um, but the way the game is you just if you can't uh, if you can't get to a port within seven or so days of having invaded that army is just going to suffer uh, from such lack of supply that it, it will die. Yeah. I, I think these are, this didn't bother as much in the European theater because things did tend to operate. I think uh, sort of the way you'd expect, uh, even if the supply rules were a little soft. Um, I thought the Pacific just, it just behaved really strangely for me. I like, I found it so easy to roll up the Japanese or I was playing the Japanese. It wasn't that tough to roll up the Americans uh, either. Like uh, the, the issue I'd run into with the Americans is they have a billion factories. Uh, and eventually I would just, I would just sort of like start like where are all these units coming from? Uh, but in terms of like the AI really like, managing the naval warfare or like arranging naval invasions very effectively. Uh, I didn't see that happening. I saw a lot of um, 
sort of buckshot approaches to naval invasions, but I didn't see, I, I rarely got the sense there was like a plan. I lost uh, an Italy campaign. I played Italy twice and the, uh, I lost it because of American and British naval invasions. Uh, basically, I'd been doing pretty well. I, I'd once again gone down the route of being like, no, thank you, Germany. I'm going to create my own lovely faction. Um, and, and things were going going great. Um, we'd almost knocked out France, um, and they weren't really putting up much resistance. Italy was safe. In the East, uh, the Soviets were just gobbling up everything, but we had a pretty decent relationship at the time. And then something terrible happened. Germany capitulated to the Soviets. So all of a sudden, even though I was not in the same faction as Germany, they were still taking some of the heat from the Allies. Um, when they got knocked out, the war just completely transformed. Within like a week, I, Italy almost was gone. I was moving, trying to move troops all back from the, the French front back to Italy. And it was just... The whole country was just this kaleidoscope of different colours. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't bring it back from the brink. Uh, those, in, those surprise invasions really did a number on me. Um, I think if Germany had still been in the war, I would have been able to move back more safely. And, uh, you know, because I'd, I'd set my, my fallback line quite smartly and I would have been okay. But just that one event the Soviets taking Germany out of the war completely screwed things up. But it was fun. I really liked that surprise. I, it, at first, it was a war that I felt I couldn't lose. And then I actually lost the game. Yes, I, I've, I think I've seen about 50-50 on naval invasions. I've seen them feed awful just, you know, two and three divisions at a time into worthless provinces. But I have seen... Uh, I'm thinking of one moment where uh, I was playing as the the British Raj, and um, I was like, I wonder how Europe's doing. And I just kind of poked my head over there, and there's 60 American divisions landing in uh, Western France as a simultaneous force of 30 or so American divisions swarms over North Africa. I mean, wow. I've seen, I, yeah, like that. It Haven't was shocking to me. It's the yeah, first wow. and only time I've seen that, but uh, they can do it, I guess, um, which is better. As a better naval invasion than in any previous paradox game. So uh, we're reaching the end of our uh, end of our show, and I just like to go around the room. And Bruce, I know you've got to uh, run in a little bit, so you may you may have to step out before mm -hmm. sign off. But I, I do want to get everyone's like temperature on this game overall. Like, uh, you know, ultimately, like, do you recommend it? Did you enjoy it? Are you going to keep playing it? Uh, where, where do you come down with Hearts of Iron Four? Um, since I have to probably leave a little early, I'm going to go first, uh, if you guys don't mind. So my feeling yeah. is that it's, it's, did I, for, did I enjoy playing the game? Yes. Um, do I plan on playing the game more? Absolutely. I'm going to definitely play the game more. I really actually, the re one of the reasons I want to play the game more is I really want to see what, um, paradox is going to change and what they think is, you know, what, what they think the shortcomings of the game are. Um, I really feel like the while the political part of the game is the most interesting part of the game it's also the part that i that i most acutely feel the lack of good uh options i feel like there should be there would be more ways to interact with with um with the different nations and and, and try to make deals and and make plans and say okay you know why don't we ally against these guys because we want to split this thing up I and mean, it's just a little um 
I know it's forced down a certain road by your national focus, but it would be it would be nice to have some of that be more sort of freeform. Um, but I'm definitely going to play it now. Whether I would recommend it, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it to people who want to play war games, um, and I'm not even sure I would recommend it to people who want to play, you know, uh, an an alt alt history version of World War II because I really think the World War II part of the game is the weakest part, but. Um, but I found it interesting. I found it enjoyable, and I'm definitely going to play it more. Cool, uh, John. Uh, I certainly recommend the game. Um, as much as I have uh, shortcomings or small uh, doubts or frustrations with with parts of the game, I think the systems themselves are solid and entertaining enough that they are worth interacting with. Um, you can do fun things with them. It is satisfying to carry out your plans. Um, if you care about things like logistics and production, this is probably the best game for you that exists on computer right now. Um, and I think that the room for growth from this starting point in this game is so, uh, I really see the potential here. I see this becoming a really fantastic game. Um, and I do see myself splitting sort of my my paradox game time between this and Europe or Universalis Four at this point. Fraser, um, more than in any other paradox game, I've struggled to to love Hearts of Iron Four. Um, ultimately, I I did end up gelling with it, and um, I I do really enjoy it. But it just took a very long time for me to really grasp what the hell was going on it, you know it was very poorly poorly explained and um and also the thing that i love the most um is the is the part that does feel the least fleshed out a lot like what bruce was saying is the, the grand strategy layer is really cool but it feels a bit at odds with the rest of the game you're kind of there's always this cutoff point where the grand strategy game kind of just ends and then it becomes the war game yeah. um and it, it they don't come together very well. It does feel like so much of what you were doing pre nineteen thirty nine just stops, and you're not really doing it anymore. Um, and that's a that's a very weird thing. And also, one of my biggest problems with it is that for every system that I love, th there's a problem with that system. Like global tension is a great example of that. I think it's it's really fantastic. It, it creates well tension, doesn't it? Um, it also creates these obstacles to be able to actually enjoy the game. I, if you're, especially if you're playing as a, a smaller power, um, you're so restricted by global tension. And it's, it's even worse if, if you're just playing allies. There's so little you can do without kind of gaming the system and trying to get global tension higher. And if you're not a particularly influential, powerful country, there's not as much you can really do to, uh, to increase that. Um, so yeah, for everything that I like, it, there, there are all these other problems. I'm not sure if I would recommend it right now uh, to like people who are hardcore into their their war games, but it's definitely a very interesting game. Um, I think it's worth a look if you've maybe become a bit tired of traditional war games. Um, and it is ultimately it is fun. I have lost myself in the game, uh, but yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, I think. You know, for me, and this is like, it is, I had this problem as I was reviewing it, where 
I knew I was probably enjoying the game more than I necessarily should. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting there and you you like you know there's problems. You know there's 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 issues with this game. Like tension's a great example. Like that is a cool system that I don't feel the game gives you enough ways to interact with, right? It it just it, sort of seems It's a cool system that only matters for one third of the time you're playing the game. Yeah, and it spikes so suddenly and out of control that it feels like it's hard to control, right? Like uh, when right. we talked about it last year, we t- we talked about it as this it was this interesting like early game resource that one side sort of uh, builds to their detriment, and one side has to wait for for it to fill up before they can begin taking positive steps. But at a certain point, I didn't feel like uh, it, there weren't enough ways to sort of control it or game it necessarily. It just sort of felt like uh, all hell would break loose. And then once it had, uh, everyone would sort of, sc- like, you know, go to their assigned dance partners. And that was World War II. Uh, within within months, uh, like, everyone was sort of committed. And sometimes it didn't always make sense. But it was a case of, like, yeah, that's a system where there's a system here that I don't think gives the player enough agency. Uh, enough enough ways to, to play with it and interact with it. Um, like the fact that the fact that supply could be such a mess bothered me a little bit. Like, you know, I'm sitting there watching, um, you know, this, this, with this pitched battle happening in the middle of Sahara, the Sahara desert. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like where this battle would be happening. (laughs) That does, that doesn't seem like that would be the battleground for the fate of Africa. Uh, but I guess we'll just, we'll, we'll just ride with it. But the thing is like, Hearts of Iron kind of pushed every single one of, of my buttons. Like it is, it's it, it's a World War II game that operates at a scale I am very comfortable with and enjoy very much. Like I love this game. This game is all um, what if type decisions, right? Like what if uh, the Germans just really focused on rolling out the most advanced tank force in the world uh, before anybody else could, Uh, you know, how, how would that sort of affect history? And that's, that's kind of the game that, that, that I was playing. That's the game I've sort of come to absolutely adore uh, is, is sort of that, that, that army construction uh, simulator, uh, you know, on, on the one, on the one side, and then the sort of operational war game uh, on the other. And, and so I don't know, I just, you know, I think if, if, if you know, if you, if you're one of those people who, who really enjoys that, you know, that, that, that sort of brute force aspect of world war two, uh, sort of, sort of the the way the the war was determined by who researched what and and who built what and sort of the overall priorities of the combatants. Uh, I mean, this this is the game. Like, there's it's 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 the only game in town. Uh, and and for, so for me, it kind of just blew through all my critical defenses and uh, just just sort of like just you know got me where I lived. And uh, so it's it's something I've just you know I, I, in the past week I've I, I've put like seventy some hours into it. I didn't have seventy hours to spend on this game, uh, but I'm still going strong. Uh, so I mean, for me, it's it's something I you know I, I I can I can criticize and I can I can see there's a lot of things that I wish were better and I hope will get better. Um, they may not, <laughs> but but what's there right now uh, is just eminently and on some level disturbingly satisfying to me absolutely yeah 
I, I think that is precisely how I feel about uh, the parts of this game that are just viscerally enjoyable. Like, I just am happy in my gut uh, being like, you know, I think I'm going to focus on heavy tanks this game and work defensively, right? Yeah, feels right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll leave our discussion of Hearts of Iron 4 right there for now. Uh, I'd like to thank Bruce, John, and Fraser for a great discussion and look forward to having you all back again soon. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. If you've been enjoying our show, please consider contributing at patreon.com slash 3MA and rate and review us on iTunes. We'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA. Until then, for Bruce, John, and Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.